Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of Clicker Training for Your Horse and other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. Dominique and I both love training. When the two of us get together, it's a non-stop conversation. And that's what we want to share in these podcasts our love of horses, and our interest in training and learning theory. Our last podcast ended in something of a cliffhanger. We were talking about rope handling, and the conversation had wound its way around to choice, a subject we both have a great interest in. So even after we ended that podcast, the conversation somehow didn't stop. Dominique turned her recording off, but I kept mine on, so we can share with you the second half of this conversation. Where we begin in our discussion of rope handling is how choice becomes a function of learning how to see and really use small changes in your horse's balance. When you go micro, you open the door to a very real conversation with your horse. Let's listen in and see where this starting point takes us. Choice evolves out of looking at micro not looking at macro, because it's really looking in the micro that you notice all those places where your animal is giving you the signals that say, yes, I'm fine, we can go on, or no, please, could we could we just wait a moment, I'm not ready. Yeah, so the details, whether you're talking about rope handling, whether you're talking about working at liberty, using targeting and other training methods, Really, what we're talking about is details matter. Details matter, and probably it's the difference between a very talented trainer and someone who is not getting the results they want is because one is seeing some details that the other is not. Yes, and also it's you can see them, but how do you interpret them? Mm-hmm. As in all things, it's quite a learning process. And that's what horses do. They take us on this incredible journey where we just keep peeling the layers and peeling the layers and discovering more and more. And that's what makes it fun. And that's that's the joy of training. And you never get to the end of it. So can we talk a little bit about the kinds of details that break it down into when you're doing the rope handling? Well, you tell me. So you were looking at saying, oh, all these details, all these details. So as you've been exploring the rope handling, what are some of the details that you've really discovered or come to embrace? I know when when we first started doing some of the body awareness exercises together, where the horse is out eating his hay and we're just exploring simple things like how do you stand, that some of that just is like, oh, why do I need to even be thinking about this? And then you start to discover that, oh, right, because the horses pay attention to these things. So what are yeah, some of the... Because even de- if you're rope handling, your body is still placing itself in places that the horses will interpret, diff- you know, and, and be looking at. But let's say for a moment, we take away the all the body communication that we're uh, sending to the horse and just concentrate on the actual rope and snap. Well... I remember when you do your clinics, you certainly spend a lot of time on the mechanics of how our hands are going down that rope. 
because you can go down a rope in two seconds and be at the end of the lead rope at the snap and not even think about it. Or you can go down that rope very, very slowly, very softly and being aware. And remember this exercise that you had us do in the clinics where we would close our eyes and have someone go down the, and we would be like a horse um, uh, holding the the lead in our hand. And when someone was going on that lead rope really fast, we wouldn't feel it as early as when someone would go down very slowly yet softly. If, and, and when you relax at the end of that rope, you can feel the hand coming down the rope so much more than if you're tense. Yes. And everything is going really fast. And so when it's going softly and slowly, you feel the slightest little movement in that lead rope. Right, right. And so you you teach us to go really, really, really slowly. But not slowly as in, I'm sneaking up on no. you. And it's really... When you say, let's take the body language part out of it, you really can't take that out because the rope is just an extension of what is occurring in your body. If I have somebody who's looking just at, oh, well, I just moved my hand down the lead rope, but they haven't done any work on themselves, they could be going down that lead with a lot of tension in their shoulders, blocked through their hips, and they're not connected well to their feet. And the experience that the horse will have, the experience that you as a human would feel if you were on the snap end, the the horse's end of the lead, would be very unpleasant. But if you then take that person and you do just a little bit of work on getting them to be more balanced, on freeing up their shoulders, on getting them a little more connected and free in their body so that now when they slide down the lead, they're really sliding down not just with their hand, not just with their arm, but their whole body is soft and is part of this. The experience that the horse has is completely different. So often what I will do with people is, in fact, I'm just back from a clinic where we were using horses that were residents at the farm. So the people were handling horses. They didn't know. There wasn't a connection that existed between the horse and the handler that there would be if somebody had brought their own horse to the clinic. And so on the first day, we got the baseline of, let's see you lead the horse and see what that looks like. And then I had people work with one another to see if they could lead, in quotes, lead another person at liberty. Can your body language make it clear to another person what you want? And then we started adding in the lead rope, but we were still working just with people. If your body language isn't clear, doesn't communicate to the other individual what it is that you would like, the lead rope is going to feel awkward and clumsy. The lead is just an extension of what your whole body is expressing. And so many of us have, basically we've learned to be stiff. And you think about sitting at school, in school desks for hours at a time, and the lack of movement and expression that we learn over time. And then you 
are handed a horse and you're told, now use your whole body, really become animated and let your intent be communicated, not just with the pull of the lead, but with the clarity of your whole body becoming involved in the sliding of your hand down the lead. I mean, people listening to this may be going, these are just words, blah, 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 blah. This doesn't communicate to me at all. Or, well, of course, that's what I'm already doing until they actually go out and ask the horses and you discover, oh, oh, there's so much more subtlety to this that we can learn and we can be so much quieter and yet clearer as we explore the rope handling. And when you do that, what you discover is that all of a sudden the liberty work that you're doing with your horse becomes so much better and clearer and your horse is much more connected to you because you've learned to communicate better. And one of the things that I noticed and that I learned from you too was that when you actually do the liberty work, you use the same gestures. Yes. As if you had a lead. Yes. So whether you have one or not, a lead, it's the same. It's the same for the horse. It's the same for you. And so you'll almost pretend that you have a lead. Yes. And I thought that was was clever and interesting. Because the cues are all the same. That's right. That's right. So liberty work informs your rope handling, and rope handling informs your liberty work. They're very connected. They're very connected which is why you can do things like the Liberty Ground Driving. That's so much fun where you're behind the horse and you're working the horse as though you had a pair of drive lines. the way that, that if you were preparing a horse to be a carriage horse, that would be part of his education or in the classical work where they do the long lining and they're at the horse's hips. Only now you don't have any lines and the communication is so much the same. You can almost see the lines even though they're not there. And one of the advantage of that, too, is that you're more consistent in your cues because sometimes we forget. Yes. We forget what the cue was, but now you don't because it's as if you had a rope, so you know exactly where your hand would be. Yes. Yeah. So you remember exactly what the cue is, and you're always consistent every time. And that doesn't mean that there are some things that you do at Liberty that are not directly connected to a lead rope because you may be working at a distance in a way that you wouldn't be ever working with the horse if you had a line attached. But certainly the two definitely inform one another. And then, of course, there's that wonderful expression of groundwork is just riding where you get to stand up and riding is groundwork where you get to sit down. They're They're all interconnected. So the more that you explore the rope handling on the ground, the more connected it becomes to the riding and the more the riding then becomes improved and the horses really understand what it is that you're asking for and you get this consistent communication across all the different ways in which you're handling a horse. So can we get back to your goat? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So what, what happened? So you were saying before you even put a lead on them, you started doing all these exercises, but then when the time came, how did it go? So let me back up a little bit more. These goats came from a larger herd, and the way that they are handled was with kindness, but they were livestock. They were coming from a situation where you needed to get the job done. And so when they were 
taught to lead, there was no preparation. This is my understanding, that basically they, they, they wore collars and at some point a lead was hooked on and the goats would struggle and, and try and get away and fight and squirm and wiggle and jump up and do all the things that goats can do. And then eventually they figure out that they can't get away because they're still really small when this is done and they begin to follow better. But there's still a fair amount of dragging. And when you need a goat to go from point A to point B, if the goat doesn't want to go there, you just add pressure and drag. In the same way that this is how dogs are often handled. I've seen this at the vet's office and I see it when I look out my window at the neighbors walking their dogs around my neighborhood. You see this occurring. So with the goats, I do not want that relationship. They already had had that experience. So they had that in repertoire. What I did with them instead is, first of all, I didn't put a lead on initially. When they first arrived at the barn, they had a lead on when they got out of the truck that they arrived in. She got them out of the pickup truck. They they had a lead on and we pointed them in the direction of the barn and oh my goodness, can a goat pull? I felt like it was attached to a sled dog. They just sort of dragged me into the barn and I knew instantly, okay, leading was definitely going to be on the priority list because these goats could drag like a dog can drag. I've been dragged from one end of the aisle to another by dogs and it's just astounding how much pull a dog can exert. So the first step was building a relationship. It wasn't even, let's put a lead on. It was, will you come to me? Will you stay next to me? Will you accept me scratching you and stroking you and petting you and giving you treats? And that was the first couple of days that they were with me. And then it was, will you follow a target? I introduced them to targeting in the same way that I would a horse. And then it was using the platforms so that they would go up onto a platform following a target and they would stay on the platform. And then following a target, I could move them from one platform to another platform. And so really when I introduced the lead, it was just a transferred cue. It was, I know you'll follow a, a target from one platform to another, but now I'm going to put a lead on you and I'm going to take the slack out of the lead, but I'm not gonna pull you to the platform. I'm gonna take the slack out of the lead. And if you don't respond right away, I'll add this old cue that you know, the target, and see if that helps you to understand what I want. And at first, the goats were really confused by the lead. I saw a regression into some of their previous behavior. They felt restricted by the lead. And then they very quickly learned that, oh, pulling against the lead, that didn't work. But if I look at you, if I put the slack back in the lead, click, you give me a treat. So they learned really fast how to listen to and respond to the information that the lead was providing. It was very progressive steps though. It was not, let me put a lead on and let you struggle. It was, let me give you the tools to understand how to use a lead so that you can be more successful faster. Mm -hmm. I think again, because they were little, it was so clear how these lessons worked because it would have been really easy to just override their concern and say, come on, goat, we're going this way, and drag them. They're small, 
I could have done that. So let's say you put the lead on and they pull back, wanting to get away from that restriction. What right. would you do? You then would I just, have the target appear? Or? Then I stabilize my hand. So I wait on that point of contact. I become like a post in the ground. So I don't add pressure. I don't escalate it. I don't pull against their pull. I just become very steady and solid and I wait. What will happen is as they experiment and try different directions, they will find the direction that releases the pressure. This is very much like for people who've gone to the Clicker Expo and listened to Michelle Puglio's talk on collar cues. Basically, it's the same process that she uses with her dogs, where you set up a little bit of a distraction so that the dog, the puppy, is likely to want to go sniff something. Sniff something. And you simply wait. And when the dog comes off the pressure of the lead, he gets clicked and reinforced. And so they learn how to release the pressure, how to come off of the pressure. That's something that we don't often teach our animals. So one of the things that the platforms provided was a great opportunity for me to teach that. There was one lesson and I had the the little goat in his stall. So we're in a small area. There aren't a lot of distractions. There's no place that he really needs to go. It's not as though I'm working out in the big arena where there might be things that he either wants to go explore or where he's afraid and he wants to go back to the security of his stall. We're in a place that he feels really secure. And I had a platform set up. So he likes going to the platforms. He's gotten reinforced a lot for going to the platforms. I have him on a lead and it's only natural that he would look at the platform and try to go to the platform. Only he's on a lead, so he can't. Mm-hmm. There's a restriction there. So the lead does create constraints. So I've got him on a lead. He's looking at the platform. He's experimenting. And in his experimenting of if I try over here, if I try over there, what works? Oh, if I look back at you, all the pressure comes off the lead and click, you give me a goodie. And then you let me go to the platform. Yeah. So the learning is so fast, but I'm controlling the environment. I'm setting the environment up so he can be successful. The distraction is one that I can control. Mm-hmm. So it's not as though, say you, you're working with a dog and suddenly a a squirrel appears that he wants to chase, but you have no control over the squirrel. I have control over the distraction. It's not a distraction that sits at, say, a a 10 of, I must get to that or I must get away from that. It's a low enough level of a distraction that he'll move his focus away from it fairly readily. And that Mm -hmm. gives him an opportunity to learn, oh, when I feel this restriction from the lead, If I check back in with you, if I move in the direction that's indicated by all the other clues in the environment, then click, I get reinforced, and the pressure goes away at the same time. Mm It can sound very superficial to say, oh yes, we shape on a point of contact, but the whole training process, it's a process. It's a learning process. The way that I think of the training is as puzzle solving. 
And what I want to build is a confident puzzle solver. So the world is full of puzzles. The world is full of situations where you don't immediately know how to solve the puzzle, how to resolve the pressure that you feel, whether that pressure is coming from a lead rope or the pressure is coming from the environment, the pressure is coming from, I want the goodies in your pocket, but I can't figure out in this free shaping format what I'm supposed to do to get you to click and reinforce me. That's all pressure of one form or another. And what I want is to have an animal who really is a confident puzzle solver, who, mm-hmm. who knows, hmm, I don't quite know the answer, but I know I can solve this. I know I can solve this. Because in the past, I've always been successful at solving the puzzle. And you know for yourself that if you've been in a situation where the puzzles got too hard too fast, you'll quit early because your history is, I can't solve this. This is too hard. It's all those people who say, oh, I'm no good at math. Well, that's nonsense. It's just they weren't taught well, so they think they're not good at math. But if you've been taught well, if the puzzles have been set up well, and you get to that place where you're, you've got a puzzle and you go, oh, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what the answer is. And you work at it a little bit and then you solve it. There's an enormous feeling of satisfaction. Got that answer. So there's that little bit of confusion, frustration of, mm, there's a puzzle and I can't solve it. There's that head scratching. And then you see the solution. There's enormous satisfaction, reinforcement from solving it. And that means that you actually almost begin to enjoy that little feeling of frustration because it leads to that, wow, got that one. And what I want are animals that have that confidence. So if we end up in a situation where the environment is a little challenging for them, they don't fall apart. They've got resiliency. And they've got flexibility, and together we can problem solve. So with the goats, with all animals, I want to start out in environments where they're comfortable, where they can be successful learners, and I want to start out really controlling the difficulty level of the puzzles. So rope handling is just about setting puzzles. That's all we're doing. We're setting puzzles. And then we're seeing if we can set puzzles that the animal can solve. So this brings us back to the criteria, because if you want your animal to be successful, then you need to think about what the criteria will be. And before you gave the example of exhaling as a criteria, being relaxed as a criteria that you would click and treat. So can you give examples of criteria that are small enough that you can build on? Well, I think that brings us to the definition of a give, which is really what we're looking for when we slide down the lead rope. We're looking for a give. And the definition of a give is the body part that we're interested in comes alive with energy and moves in the direction that we want. And I've borrowed that definition from John Lyons. I think it's always good to give credit where credit is due when you've taken an idea from someone. The whole definition of a give, again, opens up another subject of what does that mean exactly? And I think rather than 
continuing with the conversation today, what we should do is keep that idea for another day where we can really look in depth at what is it that we want our horses to do? What is a give? And what level of detail are we looking for in our horses? And then what does that detail give us? What do we get when we go micro? And I think that's a great topic of conversation. What are the benefits of going micro? Macro is so easy. Macro is looking at the big behaviors of, oh, I want to get my horse to pick up his foot for cleaning, that kind of thing. That's the macro overall goal behavior. But we get there by looking at micro. So what does micro give us? Let's let's well, keep that. That will be a, an exciting conversation. Yes, yes, yes. So we'll have that another day. We'll look at micro. Good, Good. idea. Yes. All right. It's been grand talking to you again. And I'll look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Alex. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We want to remind you about our upcoming webinar, Saturday, May 5th, 2018, at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be hosting our first Equosity webinar. To register, go to our website, equosity.com. Space is limited, so be sure to sign up early. I've attended a few webinars, and I know what I like. I like webinars that jump right in and give me a lot of useful information. So that's what we're going to do. We've got some great questions lined up for you already, and we know there will be more from the attendees. That's right. We don't have a set agenda. We know where we'll begin, but in any great conversation, you're never sure where you're going to end up. That very much depends upon you and the questions you ask. What we do know is it's going to be an interesting conversation. We'll be digging even deeper into the topics we've raised in the first six podcasts and in the bonus articles. Alex, I suspect a lot of people will have questions about the rope handling. I know it's a topic that always sparks an interesting training conversation. Yes, and speaking of the rope handling, Dominique, I ended up doing most of the talking in these last two podcasts. That's not a surprise since we were talking about balance and rope handling, but I'd like to switch gears for our next podcast. It's been a while since I've visited with you at your farm. I'd like to catch up and hear what you've been doing with your horses. So next time, I want to ask the questions and let you do most of the talking. That will be fun. I'm looking forward to it. So remember... Our webinar is Saturday, May 5 at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Visit our website, equiosity.com, to register. And until next time, goodbye.